Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we are going to be having definitely a different tone to our conversation Mm -hmm. as we venture into a subject that uh, brings with it, I would say, the ultimate sort of sobriety. Uh, As we've even been researching now uh, for the past couple of days, this subject of hell, it's something that has, I don't know, it's caused me to to feel a deep sense of gravity, mm-hmm. of, of uh, importance, a deep sense of, yeah, it's had a sobering effect on me and just caused me to really uh, peer past uh, things of this world and to think about the, uh, the meaning and the far-reaching significance of life after death and what this will all look like. Of course, these are not doctrines that we as Christians are unfamiliar with, but mm-hmm. it's not often that I know for me personally that I focus a whole lot or think a whole lot about hell uh, and what it is and uh, what what it means for those who, who go there and whether people go there, all these questions which we'll get into in today's episode. Uh, so yeah, it, as we go into it, I want everyone to know that we've, we speak to this with a serious measure of, of care mm-hmm. and of compassion. Uh, but of a sincerity, knowing that this is something that is not only important for for Christians to understand because of its uh, its far-reaching significance in our lives, and uh, it's it's important also because it is something it's a it's a doctrine that com- comes into conversation a lot and. Uh, in discussions with friends, especially with unbelievers or those who are sort of on the margins of the Christian faith, maybe on the fence mm-hmm. uh, with regards to the relationship with the Lord. And so this is something that we, we do need to think about uh, for several reasons, for ourselves, yeah. our souls, and for the good of others. Yeah, this comes on the heels of the last conversation where we talked about bad language. And mm-hmm. um, if you listen to that episode, we did talk a lot about how in evangelical American culture, there's such a value of niceness and talking about nice things, talking about happy things, and um, sometimes the discomfort with um, with strong language, including even strong language from the Bible about things like judgment, yeah. um, does upset the the modern Christian probably more than it should in terms of making people uncomfortable. Um, so part of the reason we're, we're talking about this matter is that it is a biblical issue. Um, there's a lot of serious talk about sin in the Bible and the consequences of sin. And um, to give an example, our family is reading through Isaiah right now, and we're in the teens in, in terms of the chapters of Isaiah. And 13, 14, 15, woe to Assyria, woe to Babylon, woe to Philistia, woe to all these different um, nations who have tried to destroy Israel, are destroying each other. And um, if if we only have a an approach to God and an approach to the Bible that's looking for the nice stuff, we're not going to know what to do with these these passages that are true and are the Bible says are useful for the building up of our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's kind of what this episode is seeking to do, is help people think through um, an important issue, not just for apologetics, arguing mm-hmm. for the faith, but um, how also to approach the Bible with some reverence and, um, and believe what it says, mm-hmm. but also to, to make space in our minds for these very serious passages about judgment and, and hell. Um, now, not all those passages in Isaiah refer to hell. Um, in fact, it's mostly an earthly judgment that's being rendered to right. Assyria and Babylon and so forth. Um, but, but I think it's all in the same category of, of God's judgment against sin, and, um, and that being something that the Christian 
must think about at times. Um, and, and in a way, I would, this might sound a little bit strange, but this, this could be kind of a refreshing episode in pulling the veil back a little bit on this thing that a lot of people are thinking about, yeah. but might not always hear a lot of discussion from the pulpit or teaching in, in you know the books that you read. Um, what do we do with this this topic of hell? Is something mm. that Christians think about. Definitely, non-believers are thinking about it too. Yeah, I, I think too. Adding to this the this conversation and the timing of it, this just this past week, as many of our listeners may have heard, mm. there was a horrendous and tragic school shooting mm-hmm. in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, at a school and church that is in many ways similar to our own yeah. here in Ripon, with the various CRC churches and. Uh, or those who are connected in different ways to the CRC, uh, and then our Ripon Christian School here in town, it just it hit home in a way that yeah. uh, these these sorts of shootings, heinous, ex- extremely heinous shootings, uh, have begun for me at least. I I, I felt numb. I would I would admit yeah. I, I I'm sad to admit that, but it's it's numbing to see in the news constantly these shootings. But to see one that uh, happened to a community that sounds, at least on paper, very much like our own, it really uh, has saddened me to the point of tears this week um, as I've been praying. And so that just makes this conversation all the more important, I think, that there are real ramifications for sin, not just in this world, but in uh, the world to come, Mm -hmm. in the life to come. And so, yeah, there's a serious sense of trepidation that I feel in even entering into this. Uh, This is a conversation that for obvious reasons is extremely emotional for for people. Uh, It's it's something that we don't like to think about. Uh, Death in general is something that we don't like to think about. It is sort of our natural enemy as humans. Uh, It's an enemy that we know has been and will be conquered by Christ through his death. But as of yet, we still struggle with the fear of death, though we are called in Scripture to not do that. Mm-hmm. But this is not even just death that we're talking about. This is about what comes after. And so these are questions that uh, must be considered, must be brought up. And I guess the first question we can ask, Mark, would be, is hell real? I think mm-hmm. that's the big question uh, in the world today. Uh, there's a lot of questioning really of everything in the Christian faith uh, in the modern period in our contemporary time, Mm -hmm. um, whether that's through just the scholarly academic world bringing everything into question for the pursuit of knowledge, which isn't necessarily wrong. It's, It's good in some sense to question our beliefs and to try to strengthen them in ways that we can. Uh, but a lot of times if we admit, uh, it comes from the sort of trend of deconstruction, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, we've all heard about it. Perhaps we could do an episode on that at some point as well, but bringing everything that we've ever been taught into, into doubt and casting doubt upon it all. And especially the parts of what we've learned as Christians that we happen to not like. Um, and so this question is often asked, is hell real? Is hell a place? Do people go there? Uh, so where should we begin in mm-hmm. answering this question? Um, well, there's a number of, of directions that we could go. Uh, you know, I we have to, to think biblically about it. Sometimes when I am at a graveside with a family, hmm. and um, my prayer is often, thank you, Lord, for revealing to us what is beyond death, because the only way mm-hmm. that a person could be truly aware of what happens after we die would be would be God who could deliver to us uh, messages um, yeah. through the Bible um, of what what is on the other side of, yeah. of death and so for the Christian that is a, a glorious hope of heaven and of the, the new creation the resurrection to life with Christ forever um, the reason that we believe in that is not just what the Bible says, but hmm. but that's what the resurrection teaches us. Um, yeah. That the event of of Christ's resurrection means that there there is a life after death. Yeah, there's uh, that, more to come. That is joyful for the Christian. Um, and so, the way to know about hell is to search the Bible. 
and it's very clear in Scripture that that there is um, an immortality to the soul, and mm. that that is either to live forever in blissful joy with God or to live forever in agony and separation from God. Yeah. So I, I think that that general theology of the immortality of the soul um, does does require that somebody would would believe that there is a good result and then of course the uh, the sad result of mm-hmm. sin so some people might wonder well where does this come from in the Bible um, if you were to just look up in the New Testament for the word hell you would learn that Jesus talked about it more than anyone in the New Testament um, there's there's a, a very helpful passage in Second Peter about what hell is and um, how it's this, uh, a place of judgment for angels who rebelled and for those who um, have rebelled against God and their sin. Uh, but, but really Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount mentions it several times in a row where he's giving warnings to people. Um, so even just to read one of, one of those passages, Mark 9, hmm. um, which is the teaching uh, in Mark, Basically, that is the same in, in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount discourse, yeah. is uh, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell. Um, to the unquenchable fire is is how Jesus expands that idea. And he continues, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Hmm. So um, there, there it's, it's quite clear that Jesus is referring to the consequences of our sin, and, and he's saying uh, if you're not battling against sin, repenting, trusting in him for, for life and salvation, um, there's already a negative um, impact yeah, consequence. That, a consequence yeah. that that has on our lives, but then, um, of course, he's also referring to the life to come. Yeah, this I think gets us into uh, whether or not hell is real, because he uses this word hell, or the Greek word, famously now, at least ever since Rob Bell's book mm-hmm. Love Wins came out. This this verse and verses like it in the Gospels, where we see the word hell is. In English, uh, it generally refers to the Greek word Gehenna, which was well known as being a sort of valley outside the city of Jerusalem. And valley is a sort of, I think, uh, a nice way of putting it. Yeah, generous way of putting it. Uh, But it was sort of the trash heap where they would constantly be burning fire uh, and burning fires in order to to burn the trash and to. Uh, get rid of the the trash and so it was known as a smelly place a gross place it would be like a trash dump uh, and it was a horrible place to be nobody wanted to be there and so uh, the argument in in bell's book and in many others who have sort of followed in this same train of thought when he wasn't the first one to do it i guess he sort of popularized this belief uh, was that hell is not so much a real place, uh, a spiritual place or realm, as it is a, a state of being in this world. Uh, and so... Kind of a psychological a psychological interpretation. interpretation of hell would be uh, the best way I could describe it. That we, mm-hmm. we enter into hell whenever we suffer in this world, particularly when we suf- suffer pain uh, that is, uh, you might say, unjust, um, I would guess Bell, at least back then, perhaps still today, would, would say that uh, we suffer in hell for consequences of our of our own mistakes in this world, our own uh, bad behavior, you might say. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's an interesting view. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. I think that yeah. the law of God teaches that disobedience to God's law will bring, even in this life, generally speaking, consequences in our life. It will bring uh, uh, destruction to our to our well-being and flourishing in this life and in this world. Uh, sometimes you can escape those consequences for a time, maybe even for a long time, 
but generally there's a sense in which disobedience to God's law will have a negative impact to you and on your well-being, mental or physical or otherwise, uh, in this world. Uh, the question then is, does hell mean more than just mm-hmm. the psychological state? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that it does. Uh, and there's a lot of passages. We could sit here for the rest of this episode and just start throwing out passages uh, about how it, it seems quite clear that there is a place of judgment, that there will, A, be a judgment, mm-hmm. and B, that there will be uh, a place where we are cast, which is a common word, cast, mm-hmm. or thrown, placed in, uh, a, a place of judgment, a place for those who are not uh, united to the Lord by Christ's uh, body and his death and resurrection, those who are not Christians, so to speak, who believe and trust in Christ as their Lord. And so, yeah, there's there's plenty of passages. And really, I know that the passages, for anybody who really is struggling through this, they've, they've read these passages. Mm-hmm. So it's not that, uh, that people who struggle with the doctrine of hell haven't seen these before. Uh, I, I totally get that. I'm sympathetic to the argument that there's different understandings of what these could mean. But nevertheless, it is important for us to turn to these passages. Uh, and so another one would be from Second Peter. Second Peter and Jude use interesting language about the sort of realm of darkness. Second mm-hmm. uh, Peter chapter 2, vor- verses 4 through 10, we see this important language. So it's kind of a long one, mm-hmm. but I'll read the whole thing. He says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So here, Peter uses the the word hell, it's a place where they've been cast, these angels when they sin. So uh, this, we would say, has something to do with the fallen angels, demons. I guess that would at least be the traditional interpretation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's cast them into these chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Uh, I could be wrong. I assume that that is the judgment of the last day. Um, but these, this sort of language and this terminology all makes it fairly evident, I would argue, that there is a place that's called hell. It may not be uh, a physical place that may be worth arguing, uh, the, the physicality of it. Nevertheless, whether or not it's physical or merely spiritual, which I think is kind of beside the point, it is a place, and it is a place where, where we can go, where human beings uh, can be located and found and can suffer. Yeah, it, I'm glad you uh, describe it in that way because um, it, it's important for us, even as we think about this, to get right um, what the Bible says about hell and to steer away a little bit from popular versions of what hell might be like, um, hmm. ideas that have been popularized through things like Dante's Inferno, through medieval art, through imagery in uh, particularly the high middle ages uh, produced in the roman catholic church that was at times meant to scare people into church Mm -hmm. um and so a lot of that imagery is extra biblical um and was it was almost people um coming up with the worst possible um imagery um Mm -hmm. terrifying images of satan and demons and pitchforks and and fire and so forth yeah um in order in order to to make people afraid um, now, I would say today the the pendulum has swung so far away from that Dante's Inferno and mm-hmm. into um, almost uh, an understanding of hell where it's just this place without God and without joy that might 
that that is almost neutral in kind mm-hmm. of a way, um, like soul sleep or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we want to we want to use yeah, it's been defanged. That's a really good term. Um, we want to use biblical language, and so you could hear Jesus. Um, Jesus called it a, a place of darkness, um, mm-hmm. a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so um, Jesus, of course, knowing um, about hell and and the punishment therein, mm-hmm. uses very strong language in how bad it is. And then also there's um, th- this reference to angels being who who were uh, rebellious being kept in chains of gloomy darkness mm-hmm. until the final judgment. Um, so we don't want to create the cartoonish image of hell. That, yeah, that's that is, a great point. Uh, and I mean cartoonish. Uh, one of the most common places that people will learn about hell is in Farside cartoons, right? Like <laughs> maybe Farside isn't that popular anymore, but Gary Larson, uh, who I actually really love a lot of Farside cartoons, but th- there's there's just sort of a jokey way of understanding it yeah um it's it's domesticated yeah way. it's the place where the printer never works or something like mm-hmm. that um and uh it's it's kind of um kind of a joke but also it, it's it's playing on that that fiery inferno where there are the pitchforks and mm. and and the um you know like in the episode of seinfeld she says you know the heat you know i, I don't want to be where it's so hot all yeah. the time um and uh and so we want to, we do want to think biblically, and there is that language of, of fire and darkness and suffering, mm-hmm. and so it's, which it's, seems to be an interesting juxtaposition just on the face yeah, of it, right? Yeah, fire and darkness. How does that work? That is that I never thought of that, but you're right. Um, <laughs> but I think it just points that it's not really about the imagery per se. I don't. Yeah, I don't, I, at least I don't take. It's a those way sorts of, of describing things. suffering. Yeah, yeah. In, in various with various images that are all being sort of woven together into this grand tapestry, I would say, of something that is tremendously horrible. Yeah, and unspeakably horrible. And you can think of that on the other side as well, where heaven, you know, the right. biblical authors attempt to describe heaven, uh, streets of gold, and the door is a a pearl, and so yeah. forth. And and there's um, a heavenly multitude no one can count. Mm-hmm. And there's angels rejoicing, and so um, does that mean that physically heaven is made of gold and there are pearls and so forth? I, I suppose it could mean that, but mm. what's I think probably m- most likely is John is trying to describe something in earthly terms that is a, a spiritual reality mm-hmm. that is so glorious and so beautiful that e- even our earthly descriptions defy how great it is. Mm-hmm. We could think the same way about about hell that. Um, fire, darkness, um, the worm does not die, those sorts of, of things. Yeah, the gnashing of teeth, yeah, weeping. Um, does, that, does that actually physically, is it always happening in hell? I, I don't... Um, it's hard to know. Yeah, it, it's hard to say, of course, but that is a description of, of a bad reality. Yeah, all of these we might, all of these different images we may think of in different ways, and yeah, fire, darkness, all these ones. I, I think... For me, and Mark and I were talking before we hit record, and something that stood out to me, a couple of things as I was researching and just sort of brushing up on on all of this was the imagery of darkness or mm. outer darkness, mm-hmm. uh, which, for example, comes in Matthew 25. Uh, it's actually from the parable of the talents, and Jesus talks about those who are cast into the outer darkness. Uh there's other words which I've already mentioned from Jude. Jude verse six, uh, we talk. We see the angels in gloomy darkness. It made me think of, and maybe this is totally unrelated, but in my mind, it, may, it helped me make sense of this. Was the movie Gravity, which came out in 2013 with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney, and. If you know the movie, kind of a spoiler, but I guess you could, if you watch the trailer, you'd see yeah. this too. Yeah, you'd know. uh, they're out on the International Space Station or some sort of... Um, they're out in space just beyond the Earth's gravitational pull. And so they are weightless and their ship that they're working on outside the ship, they're sort of out. They're not inside the ship. They're outside working on the, the external part of the ship trying to do something. I forget what. And... They hit a debris field of asteroids or something else, and it basically uh, c- 
causes Sandra Bullock's character to be flung out into space by herself. She's cut off from everything. She's cut off from a supply of oxygen, so she doesn't have very long to live. And she's spinning. She can't stop because she's out in space. Uh, and it's a beautiful movie as far as its its depictions visually. Uh, I have seen uh, some quibbles with it from actual astronauts mm. in terms of the, the physics of it. But uh, it brings to mind that question. For me watching it, I remember just feeling the horror of being totally disconnected from everything. Mm-hmm everything out in darkness you're helpless you can't even stop spinning because you have nothing to 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 grab onto to stop yourself nothing which is not in motion uh and so it's just brought to mind all the horrible feelings of not there's no up there's no down there's no context for my body for my life for my being and it's dark it's black and it's silent uh that for me was a sort of a mind picture of what hell could be, at least in the psychological sense of what it would feel like. Uh, that didn't even include actual pain. That was just the, the torment of disconnect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that that is a part, a part of hell, uh, biblically speaking. It's, it's the, the constant and eternal uh, moving away from God, from others, from this world that we've been created for to live in as our environment. It's even the movement away from our inner self. It's the destruction of our souls. Uh, it's never arriving at that destruction. I don't think, uh, but it is that sense of just being eternally destroyed, which is so utterly terrifying. And now you can enter into why I've, I've been feeling, Mm. uh, some, some heaviness of, some heaviness yeah. as yeah. i've been been studying that that for me just brought about the the sort of uh difficulty of this doctrine not that i have a moral difficulty with it but just realizing the the heavy weight of it all yeah and that that sounds i think that's a, a really good story in shifting us into why people might struggle with hmm. the doctrine of hell um, we've spent some time describing it and um, and so forth. But as you say that, I know some people who are listening would would think, why would God? Oh yeah. Why would God allow that? Um, and I think the the answer that every Christian would have to give is that's actually what we choose mm-hmm. when we um, when we choose sin instead of God, when mm-hmm. we choose selfishness instead of um, trusting in Christ. Um, yeah. And so. Uh, the the confessions, um, particularly the Belgic Confession, uh, does some work on how um, because we because Adam and Eve sinned, chose sin instead of life in the garden with God, um, it plunged humanity into ruin. And this is this is a, a ruin and a uh, an isolation, a distance from God that that we choose whenever we sin. Um, and so uh, it's not as though God created humanity to be the recipients of this judgment, hmm. but that God created humanity to live with him, and what yeah. we choose is the judge is, is, is the opposite the, the opposite of life with him is is to to run far away from him yeah um and so um sinners uh the the result of a life of sin is uh that is unrepentant. And that is opposed to God, just as C.S. Lewis says, is to receive the um, to receive what you desire, essentially, yeah. and, and 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 a distance from God in the life to come. Uh, the the old quote by C.S. Lewis, right? There are those to whom th- those who say to God, "Your will be done," mm. and then those to whom God says, "Your will be done," and and by mm. that, of course, he means um, to go your own way. Uh, which yeah. is actually a way of, of misery because we're we're created to to be near the Lord, um, yeah. and so I I think when and the reason that I bring that up is this that when we start from the assumption that people are good and people are entitled to a good life in this life and a good life in the life to come, mm. then hell sounds like a mean thing and 
kind of a cruel judgment that would be rendered from God um, that people might not actually deserve. But when we start with the view of the absolute holiness and glory of God, um, I was just preaching from 1 Timothy 6, he he dwells in unapproachable light, no one can see him um, and Mm. and survive. Mm -hmm. Um, And then then you start with that view of God and a recognition of our sinfulness, then uh, the person would say, along with many people in the Bible, how can I be saved? What must I do to be saved to escape this? Yeah. The um the distance <laughs> to to have a resolution to the distance that I have from this holy God. Um. So there there's more than a little bit of entitlement in American culture to say, well, we wouldn't deserve that distance from God and that that wandering out spiritually in the life to come into utter darkness and and suffering because. It's a low view of God, and it's a high view of ourselves. I think the Christian reverses that to say we have a high view of God and a low view of ourselves. And so when you start to think that way, hell becomes, um, it starts to make more sense in terms of, mm. of a judgment. Yeah, we are not just born, you know, super good and pure and innocent. Yeah. and The tabula uh, rosa, yeah. Yeah, we, that's, what, that's the way our society tends to think, right, is that, you know, maybe I can wrap my head around hell being there for the really bad person, like the Hitler or the, you know, Genghis Khan mm-hmm. uh, or maybe some sort of brutal serial killer. Uh, we can wrap our heads around that some of us, even some people do, excuse me, do struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we struggle to to see that we ourselves are yeah. are sinful, mm-hmm. and we ourselves actually aren't as good as we think. We have this, as you said, a high view of ourselves and a low view of God, and we don't realize that the reality of the situation is that God has created us, created us for union with him and therefore union with each other mm-hmm. uh, and to be in this creation, this good creation that he has made. And we have turned from that. And, and so it's not that God is unjust. It is that God is just. And that, that is the real reason for hell. That's mm. the, the reason hell exists is because God is just. God God reminds us of this throughout Scripture, his justice, his holiness, his righteousness, which is sort of a cognate word for in English for justice. Righteousness and justice are in the Greek and mm-hmm. in the Latin, the same word. Mm-hmm. Not that Scriptures are written in Latin, I should say. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but, yeah, one of the questions here on, on our sheet is, what is hell for? That, I think, is the reason. <laughs> Maybe there's other reasons, but for me, justice comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I thought about this, I, w- I recalled a verse from Romans chapter 12, which you might say is one of the nicest, most beautiful ethical visions of the Christian life uh, ever painted in Scripture. Uh, and it comes at the tail end of this great long section about uh, valuing every part of the body, not seeing yourself as being more important than you are, of loving for the loving the poor, caring for those around you, helping those who even who persecute you. But then we're given an interesting reminder in verse twelve or verse nineteen of chapter twelve, where Paul says, "Beloved, never avenge yourselves." And that's that's in keeping with the general flow of his argument. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In thinking about what hell is for, there will come a day when the check will be due. You will have mm-hmm. to pay for for what you have done. God there's, there's is a merciful will. God. Yeah. God extends grace to all who repent, all who turn to Christ. But there, there is... There is a time where this will come to a close and vengeance will be will be served. Vengeance is the Lord's. It's never for the Christians. It's not for us ever to to take vengeance into our own hands, to get revenge on someone for, for doing something to us. Mm-hmm. But this verse clearly shows us that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance in a can only be given by a just God 
Uh, it won't be revenge for him so much as it will be the the, the giving, the execution of justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, it says, I will repay, says the Lord. That's a reminder that he will do that. He will do exactly that. All the wrongs of this world, all the wrongs that have been perpetrated by sinful people in this world, either have been paid for by Christ or will be paid for in the end. And so that's what hell, I think, is is for. Yeah, and um, as we get a little bit closer to wrapping up here, I think maybe we can go two directions hmm. um, to, to close answering two kind of issues. So firstly, I know that you've done a lot of research, Zach, on what's called annihilationism. This is the oh, yeah. idea that... that um, that after after a time of suffering that that God would mercifully um, extinguish the flame of people's souls, and so mm-hmm. there's those who live who are immortal and who live forever with God in the new creation, and then there are those who live in this life with uh, a fully human soul made in the image of God and um and at a, at a certain point because of God's uh, mercy would just snuff it out. Um, so yeah. that annihilate them um, yeah. fully and completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's maybe one thing. And then what I want to close with after you maybe get into that is, what do people go and do with this podcast and with this knowledge? So mm-hmm. we can think about some yeah. practical takeaways. But first, I know you've done a lot of looking into annihilationism. What's the situation there? Yeah. So annihilationism can also be known by some, or is also known by some, as destructionism, um, and it really depends on that word destruction often in the scriptures my computer just died on me so Hmm. now i don't have any of my verses at hand here Uh, but in the scriptures we'll find uh, references to things like eternal destruction Um, Hmm. and so the second death yeah the second death and so the, the the people who would put forward this view and there are even some in the conservative evangelical world i would say it's a small minority very very small but growing um, one one of the leaders would be John Stott, the famous 20th century British evangelical pastor. Uh, I have many of John Stott's commentaries. I really appreciate John Stott. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a much more recent um, voice now sort of carrying the torch, and that would be Preston Sprinkle, the Center for Faith and Sexuality, um, which even though he runs that center, which is about conversations regarding sexuality. This is another big research interest of his as well. If you've heard his podcast, Theology in the Raw, you may have heard him talking about this there or in interviews that he's done. Hmm. But yeah, you, you, you pointed it out correctly. Essentially, the view is neither what has come to be known as eternal conscious torment, which is known as the traditional view of of Christians basically up until the 20th century. Uh, that's an eternal conscious torment. That's an, those are, I guess, fair words. They're, they're, they're accurate. Uh, the traditional view is that those in hell will be eternally conscious of their torment. Um, and so it's not that view. It, it doesn't hold to that view. It n- neither does it hold to what is known as universalism or any r- form of universalism. There are several. Uh, it, it's sort of, in a sense, a mediating view that simply says, after a given amount of suffering in hell, they would believe hell is real. Hell is a place that people go after death who do not know and trust in Christ as Lord. After a certain amount of time, they will cease to exist. So when we see these words, eternal destruction, they they really hone in on the word eternal as being not so much a a, a Time De- depiction span. of time, or yeah. yeah, a time span or a duration, it would have it would see it more as a quality, um, or, or the in, uh, intensity. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, the fullness of their. In the same way that we would yeah. say, and this is what they would, what they would argue, we say eternal life, and eternal life isn't something that only begins in heaven after death. Eternal life for the Christian begins now. You begin living in that eternal life mm. now, and so it's not so much duration or time. It's a it's a uh, a quality of life, uh, and so in the same way, it's reversed, and so it's not a duration. So then that allows them to focus a lot on this word destruction, which. If you take the word destruction or destroy literally, it will begin to make sense that you could see this as being a a time-limited 
amount of suffering, that there's a terminus to this suffering, an end point. A uh, lot like purgatory, if, if right. we think of purgatory and So in you that pay way. off yeah. your sins for a certain amount of time, and then you no longer exist. And so it's it's i think it's a very compelling view to many because it doesn't it doesn't mean you have to just go into pure universalism where everyone is saved in the end uh it also means you don't have to hold on to what are perceived to be the harder tougher pieces of the traditional view or eternal conscious torment uh but i think that there are several reasons uh many of which are just purely exegetical uh I'm not really convinced by the purely qualitative interpretation of the mm-hmm. word eternal. Uh, yeah, Ion is the Greek. Yeah. It, it does seem to me, it, it could go either way. Maybe it goes both ways, but there's other, there's also other parts of scripture that talk about everlasting torment. Um, and so it doesn't, it just doesn't convince me exegetically. Maybe I need to listen to, to sprinkle or others a little bit more, but I'm, I'm definitely not there. I'm not convinced. Uh, and I don't think we'd be able to go there with our confessions. No, I think that, uh, we would not. That they're, not according to the Heidelberg Catechism. Yeah, so like Catechism Q&A 52, how does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort me? So it yeah. comforts me in that I know the, I, I confidently await the very judge who's already offered himself in the judgment of God in my place and remove the whole curse from me. And then it follows after to say, Christ will also cast his enemies and mine into everlasting everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Yeah, and everlasting so, condemnation yeah, there. By grace, through Christ, um, many are saved, um, and those who, who are not, um, are, are, are cast into this everlasting condemnation according to Q&A 52. And there, there's other teaching in, mm-hmm. um, really outside of the confessions in the, the stream of Reformed theology from people like Herman Bovink. Um, Louis Burkhoff is actually very critical of annihilationism. Mm-hmm. It was starting to, um, to become yeah. more popular in his day, really. The in turn the turn of the 20th century, yeah, 20th I think century. is really where it started. And, and thanks in, in many ways to uh, German liberalism that, that, mm-hmm. that moved um, the, the, the Western church in kind of that direction. And, and he just full stop rejects the, uh, the possibility of an annihilationism based on the scriptures and the confessions. And so yeah. um, it, it's certainly not anything that we would want to take any delight in. I know that that sometimes, um, and that's really the purpose of the Romans 12 passage, is mm-hmm. is not just that we would not seek revenge, but that neither would we take any delight in the suffering mm-hmm. of other people in this life. Yeah, that's and, a good point. Um, and so we don't sit here as, as Christians um, feeling exclusive, you know, selected and um, better than mm-hmm. any person who right. uh, who is maybe listening to this podcast who isn't following Jesus. Um, we are sinners, Zach and I. We mm-hmm. deserve hell. We truly do. Um, yeah, and if it were that. not for the grace of Christ, we would be um, living a, a hellish suf- existence of suffering already and mm-hmm. would, would be there uh, after, after death as well. But um, this is probably where we want to end. We, we can have assurance mm-hmm. um, believing in the death and resurrection of Christ as the atoning sacrifice for our sin that has restored us to God. Mm-hmm. When we refer to Christ as Redeemer, mm-hmm. um, we're referring to him as one who has, has made a bridge, a bridge <laughs> that, that spans that, that chasm that we couldn't get, o- get across ourselves. And so that's, yeah. of course, Christ. Um, I heard a, um, a debate recently between um, a, a pastor and actually somebody in his church, and she was really struggling with this question of hell. And the pastor was trying to appeal to her by, and he kept saying, "I don't know who's in heaven or hell. I don't know who. who I, I just know that we'll be surprised at some of the people who are there and some of the people who aren't there." And I, I would never want to say that as a pastor because hmm. I, I'm confident and I have assurance that. That the Lord has has changed my heart, given me a, a true faith in Christ, and and I have a, an assurance that I will be with the Lord someday. Yeah, um, that's what Paul says in First Thessalonians four and five. Encourage one another with these words that that um, 
already many are gathered up with the Lord hmm. and um, and at the last day um, we'll, we'll, there will be a joyful reunion with Christ as we welcome him into the world. And so um, the Christian can have assurance, but a big part of the reason we wanted to cover this topic is to also have a sober-minded, serious view of the reality of hell. And uh, John Piper talks about how mm. that should launch us into some urgent evangelism, mm. um, because uh, with this this view, particularly of universalism, um, and uh, possibly also annihilationism, um, it, it does start to seem like there really aren't consequences yeah. to uh, to the um, to the sin that that people choose over a life with God, mm. um, but the Bible. Is, is very, very clear about that basic truth. There are consequences mm. of suffering for people who sin against God. And I agree with um, the Heidelberg Catechism that says, by nature, I hate God and my neighbor. And mm. I think we can see that in the world very clearly, that that's, yeah. that's it's pretty provable that by nature we do hate God and our neighbor. But um, hopefully this, this, this teaching on hell certainly would not inspire pride in anyone but would inspire okay. urgency to talk about spiritual things in this life, which is a short life, with the people around us who aren't following Jesus right now. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 correct. Because yeah, and just thinking about the the horribleness of hell uh, and what that would mean for someone, uh, that should drive us to even more. Uh, to 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 push for them to to know the Lord, uh, something that we also were addressing before we recorded. Mark, it still stands out in my mind from what you said. You, you talked about the great divorce, mm-hmm. and you mentioned something about uh, people, those in hell. Lewis depicts as who are constantly moving and getting further and further away from each other. Mm-hmm. I, I've not read the book, so. I, I don't know exactly that, that story, mm-hmm. but we discussed how in heaven it's quite the opposite. We're all, it's, there's a, a dynamic move towards union with God forever, closer and closer union, perfect communion and fellowship with the Lord, with one another, uh, even with the whole creation that God has made as things are restored and perfect and great and glorious, whereas in hell it is quite the reverse opposite. Uh, not even those in hell have any fellowship with one another. Mm-hmm. It is individual isolation from one another forever, and that sounds that sounds really horrible. Uh, I, I would say our our evangelism ought not be primarily vote, motivated by uh, the fear of hell, mm-hmm. uh, but the reality of hell, uh, it ought to drive us to be reminded of the goodness and the greatness of heaven. Uh, and so we should be driven by a positive uh, desire to see people in heaven. I think a lot of times in evangelical ministry, it can seem like our desire is to just escape hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as a child, I went to a very dramatic stage play called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. I was 10 years old. Wow. And the whole play was different scenes of people dying in various ways, car accidents or miscarriage or what. I don't even remember all the scenarios. Yeah. Uh, but then they would land either in hell or in heaven. And in heaven, it would obviously be great. And you'd find out that they were a Christian and they loved God. And then in hell, it was, and that was all well and good. But then in hell, oh, that was terrifying. I remember thinking, oh, my God goodness i do not want to be here mm-hmm. and so at the end of the play they had an altar call and i ran forward crying fearful mm-hmm. of hell mm-hmm. i needed to get my fire insurance it wasn't so much that i loved christ yeah. it wasn't so much that i i wanted to be in heaven as a, just that i knew i didn't want to be in hell mm-hmm. it sounded terrifying and Yeah, I think that that's a insufficient proclamation of the gospel. Nevertheless, hell is real. It's something that is on the table. Mm -hmm. We can we can put ourselves there uh, by our our choices, or we can repent and follow the will of God instead. Follow Christ, know Him, trust Him, and 
be in his kingdom by his spirit and by his grace. Yeah, and even as you were talking there, as I my last thought will be, I, I think um, the Christian perhaps can be motivated by a knowledge of hell, but not that we have mm. to make that the message. Right, 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 right. So to say we're aware of the the beauty, the glory, the goodness of heaven, of community with God forever and yeah. each other, and that's a message that we present because that's that's secured for us in Christ, and it's um, that's the call of the gospel is to to trust, to repent, and believe the good news about about Jesus' death mm-hmm. and resurrection. And so that's the message. But what could be motivating us is a recognition that somebody is running away from God. It isn't our job to figure out if that person is going to heaven or hell right now. Yeah. But knowing that hell is a reality. Um, that that doesn't always have to work itself into a conversation of a, a presentation with the gospel. Yeah. Um, it could, and if somebody has questions about that, hopefully this episode has educated people on what that might be or might not be. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we we desire that listeners to this podcast, that people in our families, that people we encounter, somebody who comes into Almond Valley CRC on a Sunday, would receive the gospel, but would also recognize that there is a consequence to to their sin and it's it's called hell and uh and it, it's misery mm-hmm. so um i i would hope that will motivate some people to uh to get going really to get going on some spiritual mm-hmm. conversations that you need to have especially with people who are who, who know they're living a life of suffering and can't yeah. name what that is um the christian can come in and say um, that's life forever without God. Yeah. Um, and so turn to Jesus um, to have that boldness to, to recognize that some people are suffering, or especially people who are later in life, um, thinking of grandparents and so forth, who uh, maybe are not showing a lot of fruit of, of the Spirit, to have a real um, meaningful, not threatening conversation, but a meaningful spiritual conversation to say, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Yeah. And if it's anything other than the Lord Jesus and and belonging to Him, then uh, we need to have uh, to to be pointing them very clearly with with the gospel message to trust in Christ because hell is real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is the final victory of the of the destructive effect of sin yeah. over us forever, and we do not want that for ourselves, and we do not want that for anyone that we know. And so, yeah, thank you guys yeah. for joining Thanks us. Thanks for sticking for, with us for a long one. Yeah, on this. long and difficult yeah. subject. I feel like there's still so much more that could be said, but we hope that we have helped you in some small way to think through this difficult doctrine. Uh, if you have any requests for further episodes or you have mm-hmm. questions or comments, feel free to email us. I will even go so far as to say my actual email. There I have no go. problem with this. Put it out there. ZDewey08 at gmail.com. Yep. And if you're wondering how to spell Dewey, you can see it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I would love to hear from you. Uh, we, we're always curious. And so, yeah, get a, yep. get a hold of us. That's me. Mine's Pastor Mark at almondvalley.org. There you go. Yep. And yep. so, yeah, reach out. We'd love to hear from you, and we will be with you all next week. All right, see ya.